Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 26. There we find God's word summarized in the form of questions and answers. The first question, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? Answer, in this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. Next question. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? Answer. To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive the forgiveness of sins from God through grace, because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ, so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. And then the final question, where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? Answer, in the institution of baptism, where he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 19. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, verse 16. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of rebirth and the washing away of sins, Titus 3, verse 5, and Acts 22, verse 16. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from Psalm 26, the stanzas 2, 4, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, what comes to your mind when you think of baptism? No doubt, one of the first things that comes to mind is the day of baptism itself. Such a day is always a joyous day, isn't it? It's a day of celebration. It's a time when as many relatives and friends as possible come over and share in the celebration along with the rest of the congregation. And it's good to celebrate. A baptism is a joyous event, especially in the family. It's also usually the first time that a baby is seen. However, the danger can be there that the stress will be on the new baby and on the relatives who have to be there to see that new baby. 
Some stress the importance of people so much that they want as many people as possible to be there, especially close relatives. And they will even postpone baptism for a week or longer until a significant relative or a favorite minister can also be there. But is that where the emphasis is? We have to ask ourselves, what exactly are we celebrating? And what does God want us to have in mind when we see the water of baptism being applied to a newborn baby? And that brings us to the questions of the composers of the catechism. They ask, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you? Originally, however, in the Latin edition, the question was, how are you admonished and assured that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? They use the word admonish instead of the word signify. Why would they use such a word? What has this to do with admonishment? Well, initially, the word admonish meant to bring to mind, to bring to remembrance. And so, with baptism, we are to remember certain things. We are to bring to mind everything associated with it. For that reason, the Lord God uses ordinary elements, elements that we encounter every day. Water. We especially encounter water today. Look at all the rain outside. And fire. Water and fire bring up many images. And the Lord God wants to associate those images with what he does in us and through us so that we won't forget. So that when we encounter those elements in everyday life, as we do today and as we do all the time, that we are reminded of what God does with us and what he does with his creation. By reminding us of these elements in nature, he wants to warn us, but he also wants to comfort us. And so I will preach to you about the warnings and comfort found in the elements of baptism. And then first, we will look at the element of water, and secondly, the element of fire. For baptism, we use water. That is very significant, for water is the most abundant of all of the Earth's natural resources, covering its surface to about 70%. And we use water all the time. Life on Earth cannot exist without water. During biblical times in the eastern part of the world, water was especially necessary and desirable. Particularly there, water was associated with life. The ancient Hebrews lived in a land where water was scarce. And that is why the ownership of a well was considered to be a great blessing. For the water from the well would ensure that none of them, including their cattle, would die of thirst. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 12, we read that one of the things the Lord God promised to the Israelite was that he will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on the land. He promised that to them 
as long as they obeyed God's commandments. However, said he, if they do not obey, the Lord God will make the rain of their land dust and powder. In other words, there would be no rain. He will withhold it. Here you see that with the water comes not only the promise, but also the threat. And this is where the admonishment, the bringing to remembrance comes in. For when it comes to the warning which accompanies the water, we come to a very sensitive matter as far as God's covenant people are concerned. For they remember that God punished the wickedness of the people on the earth by drowning them in a devastating flood during the days of Noah. In 1 Peter 3, the blessings of baptisms are connected to that flood. But so are the warnings. Peter reminds his readers that in the days of Noah, eight people were saved through the water of the flood. But you cannot disassociate those who were saved from those who were perished. For the rest of the world perished. The water of the flood saved the believer Noah and his children, but those who did not believe, those who did not take the water of the flood seriously were destroyed. Same thing is true of the water of the Red Sea. The people of Israel, God's covenant people, were saved through the water. Their plight seemed hopeless. The Egyptians were right behind them, snapping at their heels, and the Red Sea was in front of them. They had nowhere to turn. And lo and behold, the Lord God comes to their rescue and he parts the sea and he leads his people through the sea on dry land. But Pharaoh and his army perished. Here again we see blessings and curse. The water saves the believer but destroys the unbeliever. With the water comes warning. Last week, Many of us experienced the destructive power of water. The gates of heaven opened up and brought a torrent of rain and hail. Many crops and gardens were ruined. When I saw the destruction in our own garden next door here, it reminded me of the curse that is on creation because of sin. It reminded me of God's warning that those who do not repent will perish. But the mention of the water of baptism especially brings to mind that water is not only a medium through which you perish or are saved, but also a medium through which you are cleansed. And it is especially for that reason that the symbolism of water is used. The scarcity of the water and made it a precious commodity for the Israelites. They did not live in an affluent time as we do, nor in a technologically advanced age as we do. Even during times of drought, we are always still able to open up a tap and clean, refreshing water comes out. We can daily take baths or showers without worrying too much, about where the water comes from or whether or not we are going to run out. But that was not the case in the Near East 
water had to be carried long distances. And it was not good if you spilled the water. It says in 2 Samuel 14, verse 14, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. Cool, clean, fresh water is precious indeed. It is not to be spilled. At one time, my wife and I were transported in a taxi through a desolate part of a poor country. The engine of that taxi overheated. The taxi driver saw a poor man climbing up the hill and carrying a container of water on his back. He looked frail and exhausted, but the taxi driver commanded this man to give him some of that water for his radiator. For whatever reason, this poor man was afraid not to comply. But you could see the distress on this man's face. That water was so precious to him. It really made me think. I had never thought about how precious water is to some people and under certain circumstances. And now here comes this man who demands some of that precious water from him. If you don't have it, water is really precious. And but it is especially precious in the symbolism, in the washing away of our sins. And therefore the Lord uses the imagery, the imagery of the preciousness of cool, cleansing water to teach us how we are washed from the impurity of our sins. In the Old Testament, water was used for many purification rites. When a leper was cleansed from his leprosy, he had to wash himself in running water and be declared clean. Any bodily discharge would also render you unclean. The washing in running water was described, for example, in Leviticus 15, verse 16 and following. It says there, when a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his whole body with water, and he will be unclean till evening. Any clothing or leather that has semen on it must be washed with water, and it will be unclean till evening. When a man lies with a woman and there is an emission of semen, both must bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Water was also used in order to render the priests and Levites clean before the Lord God. From the tabernacle and the temple stood a laver, which was a wash basin. The Lord says that they are to wash themselves in it, lest they die. Exodus 30, verse 20 and 21. Both their hands and their feet were to be washed in it. For the hands symbolize the works of man. They symbolize his activities, the way he deals with those with whom he comes into contact. The feet also had to be washed, for they symbolize man's walk in life. The Lord requires from man that he walk in the way of righteousness, and no one is righteous, no, not one. And so both the feet, both the hands and the feet had to be washed. 
the priest or the Levite had to step up onto the laver in order to be able to do that. For the laver consisted of two parts, a bowl and a pedestal. The bowl on top served both as a wash basin and as a water reservoir. For at the bottom there would be taps which would allow the water to flow from the top to the pedestal in which the priest would wash his feet. When he was done, he would get down from the pedestal and again stand on level ground. Psalm 26, of which we will sing in a moment, gives us a clear picture of that ceremony. There David says in verse 6, I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord. And then in verse 12 he says, Further my feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly I will praise the Lord. At that point David, as it were, steps out of that water basin and again stands on level ground, fully cleansed. And David describes here the, the symbolic significance of the way the water basin is used by the priests around the altar. And so you see that the believer in the Old Testament was fully aware of his need to be cleansed. The whole nation Israel was unclean. And they knew that the only way that he could be cleansed was by the Lord God alone. And therefore they must obey him. For that reason, Amos uses the water imagery of justice and righteousness of God. He says in Amos 5, verse 24, But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And Jeremiah spoke out against the Jews who trusted in the leaking cisterns of the enemies of God. Speaking on God's behalf, he says in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so you can see that God's covenant people were well aware of the significance of water and its many uses. It's for that reason that John the Baptist went about preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And many people also allowed themselves to be baptized by John. For they knew from the scriptures that they are impure and that they need to be washed from their sins. However, many others did not allow themselves to be baptized by him. For the majority of the Jews were self-righteous. They thought that baptism was for the heathens. Indeed, it had become the practice to baptize Proselytes. Proselytes were Gentiles who had been converted to Judaism. To Judaism, the Jews did not consider it enough that they were circumcised upon conversion. They believed that they also had to be purified through the water of baptism. For the heathens had come into contact with many unclean things. For themselves, they did not see such a need. After all, they are God's holy people. They are his special people. They kept themselves from defilement 
And so they didn't need to be baptized. The amazing thing, however, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself had no such reservation. He allowed himself to be baptized in spite of the objections of John the Baptist. John knew that Christ was the Son of God and that he was without sin. Nevertheless, the Lord Jesus sought John the Baptist out. He, too, wanted to be baptized by him. Why, then, did Christ insist on that? He insisted, brothers and sisters, because he took upon himself the sin of the whole world. He humbled himself for the sake of man, for your sake, for my sake. He knew the task that lay ahead of him. He knew why he had come to earth. He had come to take away the sins of the world so that all who believed in him could be cleansed from their sin. And that is what the purification rites of the Old Testament taught. It showed God's covenant keep people the need to be cleansed. And it was a ritual which had to be re repeated over and over again. Lest man forget his uncleanness. The Old Testament believer also knew that the water was not just meant to wash the dirt from the body. No, it symbolized the need for inner cleansing. One's soul, one's entire existence had to be washed. The water itself did not remove the dirt. And so the symbolism of the water pointed to him, to the anointed one, to the Messiah, to Christ. For thousands of years, millions upon millions of various cleansing rituals had been performed, but they all pointed to that man of Nazareth, to the Son of God, for only he can clean us from our sins. And why is that necessary? It is necessary because only those who are as pure as snow can come into the presence of a holy God, our holy God. Only those with garments as white as snow are acceptable in God's eyes. For nothing impure is allowed to enter into the sanctuary of God. David fully understood that. He cried out, as we know from Psalm 51, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit. However, water is not the only purification agent mentioned in the Bible. So is fire. Fire also purifies. We come to the second point. Purity is an absolute requirement from the Lord God. In order to symbolize that, the Lord wanted only pure metals to be used in the tabernacle or temple. For example, only objects of pure gold could be used. 
The only way that you can purify a metal is by a process which uses very high temperatures. And therefore, fire is used as a purifying agent. Through an arduous process, it burns off the dross, the impurities, until, in the end, nothing is left but pure metal. The same thing is true of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit burns away your impurities. For you will remember that the Spirit of God is also symbolized by fire, by a flame. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit, tongues as of fire rested on each of them. The Holy Spirit is a fire which removes the impurities of man. In answer 70, the Catechism tells us that to be washed by the Holy Spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ. That congregation is a fact. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. That is what he has done. That is to say, he has made us pure. He has made us holy. He has set us aside for God's service. We can't do that ourselves. The Holy Spirit has done that and continues to do that. Christ washed us in his blood, but now through the Spirit, we are also made new creatures. New life has been breathed into us. The impurities which cling to us because of our sins have been burned off by the Holy Spirit. And that's not just a wish. It's an undeniable fact. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit makes us members of Christ. What does that mean? We know from chapter 6, which we read together, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. In verse 11 he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Baptism, brothers and sisters, has a very deep significance. When you are baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you go under with him into the grave. At the time of your baptism... And then you go under with him along with your whole sinful nature. Then, as it were, you, with your old nature, also hang with Christ on the cross. You die with him and you are buried with him. But through your baptism, you also rise from the dead together with him. You become a new creature. You become alive. Satan no longer has power over you. And it is all those things, brothers and sisters, that you are to remember, that you must bring to mind. You're washed in the blood of Christ. That means you're clean. 
It's not something for the future. It's not something that still has to happen. No, it refers to right now. All the dirt has been washed away. You are clean. You may enter the sanctuary of God. It doesn't matter what you have on your conscience. If you ask for the forgiveness of sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are washed clean, white as snow. And through the Holy Spirit, you have been made a new creature. God removes you time and again, every day. And that is the great comfort you may have again today. For you, when God tells you these things, can also be absolutely sure, for he is trustworthy. But answer 70 tells us that the purpose of baptism is not only that we know ourselves to be washed with the blood of Christ, but also that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. We have to become what we are already in Christ. Christ washes you. He makes you clean. He makes a new creature out of you. But now you also have to live in accordance with that. And it is all to the honor and glory of God. But there you see our everyday struggle. For we defile ourselves time and again because of our sins over and over. We come into contact with our own sinful flesh and that of others. As we saw this morning, we live in a dirty, filthy world. And that is why our baptism is all the more comforting. And that is why we need to be reminded. We need the symbolism of fire and of water to remind us of the cleansing and purifying power of God and the word of God. When we experience the destructive nature of water and fire, then we are reminded of God's wrath and therefore of the need for repentance, when at the same time we see the other qualities that those elements have, namely their wonderful cleansing power. This world is going to be cleansed by fire, brothers and sisters. Make no mistake about it. That is what God prophesies in his word. And only those who are already pure through the blood of Christ will be able to come through that fire. Everything and everyone else will be burned up. Let that be a warning, but also a comfort. We know that those who belong to the Lord will not come to harm. Brothers and sisters, as long as you believe, you will not perish. God will cleanse you, purify you, and sanctify you. Why? So that you can live a life without sin and the effects of sin. What a powerful message the water and the fire give to us. And what a comforting one. Amen.